I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night during the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. Last night's meeting included two presentations, one calling for a vote to close three schools and the other an update on the strategic plan. There was also quite a bit of public comment expressing frustration with the exam school policy, and we heard from Sumner School parents and community members who just learned that that school will be the only elementary school in Roslindale without a sixth grade, something they say was promised to them by the superintendent. Ross, good morning. Good morning, Jill. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm much better now that the rain has ended in Boston. Yeah. Jill, um, so last night's meeting was about five and a half hours Mm. or so. Um, Let's get into it. Well, Ross, the meeting started with the superintendent's report, which included an update, which we were surprised about, from Monica Roberts on the implementation of the exam school policy. Ross, we've been talking about this new approved policy for months now. Can you just give a quick recap on how we got here? All right, we'll make it really quick. So back in July, this, as you recall, the school committee voted on this new exam school entrance policy. Um, this was after about a year of a rigorous task force that's spent time on trying to figure out how do we create a new exam school policy. And as you know, there was a temporary policy referred to as like the zip code policy during the pandemic. And then there was a task force created to create a recommendation for a long-term policy. A week before or a few days before the superintendent proposed a policy to the school committee, she had changed the recommendations from the task force. And she changed, you know, some of the numbers, some of the cutoffs and so on, and basically proposed something new that the school committee members thought may have been the same as a task force, but it was slightly different. Right. And there was no data simulated for that policy that was voted on. And so because Tanisha Sullivan and Michael Contempasas, who were both leading the task force for months and months and months, a very diverse task force, came to the meeting before the recommendation was made and made the recommendation from the task force. Right. And then we were told there'll be a vote. And then at the next meeting, the superintendent actually proposed something different. Correct. Than what the exam school what the exam school task force proposed. And that night school committee voted on it and we were pretty sure they weren't sure what they voted on. Right. And so a number of members since then, meeting after meeting after meeting, have asked for new simulated data. Right. That is based on the new policy, the policy the superintendent recommended and the school committee voted uh, unanimously on. Right. And the reason we keep bringing this up over and over and over again is because there's unanswered questions that the school department refuses to answer. Well, and it keeps coming up. It, they, public comment keeps bringing it back to life. And so, you know, at some point, there's going to have to be some sort of agreement between the public and school committee and the superintendent, I think, or I guess they can just keep ignoring public comment and move forward. But the biggest question on the table that's still unanswered is whether the new policy means that students from some of the schools in BPS have absolutely no chance of going to an exam school. And so as a reminder, here's what Dr. Coleman had to say about this at the last meeting. But the one, the one thing that has come up consistently in public comment several times was a perception in the community that they, when people do their independent analysis, that there were schools in which there was no chance to get into the district. And I was surprised as I read through the report that there wasn't a rejoinder to that repeated and significant complaint. 
And Jill, we heard from many in the public last night who continue to be frustrated with the superintendent for moving forward with this process, particularly given that the major unanswered questions about the impact of the 10 bonus points remain unanswered. Let's play a few of those comments. Let's be clear. This new policy will not function as a 10-point bonus for students at 120 schools. Instead, it will be a 10-point penalty for students attending just five Boston public schools. And here's the second comment on the same issue. I believe what you'll find is that you have made it mathematically impossible for any student from these five schools to receive admission to any exam school. Please review this plan and its modeled outcome with the correct data as it pertains to this year's bonus point plan. Thank you for looking into this. And the third. And there will be schools with zero kids going to exam school. Uh, even the top in the class, A plus, A minus. Uh, a plus and A doesn't really matter. I, I just saw the, um, uh, on the website that the A and the A plus using the same uh, 11 points. And this last comment. The main reason is that first, this is not a fair policy. It will cause even A student in some tiers, like in West Roxbury, not be admitted, while some B students in other tiers can easily get into the exam school. So public commenters appeared to be frustrated that School committee is agreeing to charge ahead with a policy that has, as Vice Chair O'Neill said in the last meeting, significant unintended consequences. So should school committee be holding off on this 10 points until they can get a better understanding of the impact? That's what school committee member Diarugio suggested at the last meeting. If we can model it, I believe that we should err on the side of rescinding uh, uh, the, the, the 10 points. If we can't understand it, we can't model it, um, then if it has the potential to have these impacts of a, a significantly unfair impact. But last night, with neither Mr. DiRuggio or Vice Chair O'Neill in attendance, the superintendent asked Monica, Monica Roberts to give an update on the ways in which the district is moving forward with the new exam school policy. Ross, what did she say in her presentation? Well, there's a new website up. Um, we can post to that with mm. information about the exam school policy. Monica Roberts did say that they've reached out or put out information for students who do not go to a Boston public school but live in the city. They can begin to verify their address and residency with right. the school system now. And that essentially the, the process will begin in January. You know, they'll be notified if they're eligible and then they can move forward with selecting schools. So there's still, you know, a couple months here where the district is working out the last minute details. Monica Roberts did say that in the future, we're gonna see the details of what the economic tiers are and more information about which schools receive 10 points. And she said that is currently with the legal advisor and that they'll have more information to the committee in future meetings. So basically a number of people have effectively FOIA'd the information that school committee used to make a decision, but no one has actually seen that information yet. And that's what Monica Roberts was referring to last night. Correct. And when some people say, well, we can't change this policy now because it's too far ahead. They're not far ahead at all. All they're doing is verifying addresses of non-BPS students right. at this point. And then clearly the details of the policy have yet to be finalized. Okay. So one of the public commenters last night gave an example of these unintended consequences that Michael O'Neill had mentioned in the last meeting. 
A family is determined to be disadvantaged if it participates in one of five public benefit programs. Our new small school misses this arbitrary metric with 38.7% of our families deemed disadvantaged. It would only take the change of two of our families' economic status to put us above or below the 40% threshold each year. If this metric is to be used to determine our children's future, the school committee and BPS must at least ensure the integrity of the data used in defining disadvantaged students. The Allegheny has a significant population of foreign-born families. For 63% of our students, English is not their family's first language. Many immigrant families are hesitant to apply for or outright prohibited from receiving public benefits. And now, based on this metric, our students will also be prohibited from exam school admission. So, Ross, what do you think happens next? What should school committee do? At the very basic start is, is deal with the resolution to this conflict. As we've noted from Dr. Coleman and from Mr. DeArujo and Mr. O'Neill and other members saying, if this, is, if this is true, that there are students in BPS who will be locked out of an exam school because they were assigned to a school that doesn't get the 10 points, that they need to deal with this issue yeah. and not just solely ignore it. And what we're seeing here is not just on this issue, but multiple issues we've seen where members raise questions and the school department kind of just ignores the questions mm -hmm. and just keeps moving forward. And last night, I, th I thought it was a pretty bold move for the school department to put in a quick presentation saying, we're implementing the policy without answering your questions, essentially. Right. So I, what I think needs to happen next is, you know, next meeting, uh, this needs to be resolved. The members need to raise the question again. BPS needs to answer. And there needs to be some resolution rather than just ignoring the public comment and ignoring members the district and the school committee need to reach resolution here. Right. Okay. So the meeting then continued on with two presentations. One was on Build PPS and the second which was on the superintendent's strategic plan. Build The Build BPS plan proposed a vote that will be taken in an upcoming meeting on closing three schools, the Timulty, the Jackson Mann, and the Irving. Ross, can you summarize, it was a very long presentation, but can you summarize what was covered in the presentation? All right, so this presentation, Jill, was over two hours. I right. think it was like two hours and 15 minutes. And it was all around those three things. It was close the Timothy, close the Irving, close the Jackson Man. And by the way, there already has been a discussion around closing all the middle schools mm -hmm. in the school system. And mm -hmm. it just happens the Timothy and the Irving are the next two to close. There are a couple other middle schools that are going to be, remain open. One of them is Up Academy. The other one is the Frederick. And essentially, all of this conversation was around what is going to happen in terms of students being able to transition between K-6. So, so the district has moved forward with a plan to make all elementary schools K-6 or K-8 mm -hmm. and make all high schools grades 7 to 12. Mm -hmm. And what they put forward last night, as we heard in public comment, was a plan to essentially make some elementary schools that are K-5, make them K-6. And then if they were K-6, they could just make one transition into a high school for grades 7 to 12. Right. The rationale behind all of these moves is that families would prefer for their children to move between schools as little as possible. So the notion is then right. if you make one of if you make the your first school a K through 6 and your second a 7 through 12 you only have one period of transition 
And you and I have talked about this before, but the seventh, starting at seventh grade comes from the notion that they need to make it equal to the start times for the three exam schools. So the three exam schools are really guiding how we look at high schools across right. the city. But essentially the school system, you know, was saying, well, geez, what do we do? How do we create a, a system where there's less transitions? And, right. and you may have recalled, you know, years ago, uh, Superintendent Chang basically said there's some students have to transition, you know, I forget how many times, but yeah, it was like from times. an early learning center to an elementary school to a middle grade to then a high school. So at least four times mm-hmm. some students were, were making transitions. And every time a student makes a transition, they have to reacclimate to a school. The staff needs to make sure that that student is fully engaged and, and supported in the school. And it's hard, right? And so less transitions are better. Mm-hmm. And so the school system is sort of saying, let's make all schools K-6 and then all schools, a high school 712. So there's only one transition. And ultimately, then anything that doesn't fit into that model would be closed. So I don't know. Right. I mean, who knows? Right. Because right? that wasn't clear. But Jill, I have some questions that came up last night that were not addressed at all. Mm-hmm. Right. First and foremost, the way the school system is adding six grades is adding modular classrooms. Right. So they're adding outside of the school building. They're adding trailers. Right. Okay. Now, and they're saying these are temporary. Right. So what is the long-term plan? Right. Like we, this is not a build BPS plan to add a bunch of modular classrooms around the city to take care of a problem. So if they're converting to this as a long-term strategy, putting modular classrooms in is not a long-term strategy. Yeah. It seems dangerous without a plan to move out back out of those modular classrooms. Right. Right. And then it also seems like we may have too many seats in grades seven and eight. And so I think there's, you know, we didn't hear any data around school age kids right. last night. Right. So where are our school age kids? This isn't the Build BPS report, by the way. There is, but it's the data is from 2016. Mm-hmm. So it'd be great to get an updated data set right. that, that says, here's how many kids are in every neighborhood. Here's where the seats are. Do we have enough seats to meet the, the needs of these families? And, and where family? do we have too many? Exactly. Seats. And there yeah. may be too many seats. Right. And then there's all this discussion around pathways. Right? Which, by the way, that we're not even talking about quality seats, right? We're just talking about seats. Oh, just seats. Right. I mean, but Jill, all the conversation last night had, there was zero, I don't think I heard the word quality no. once. No. This was all about there is a place to keep a child in a school. It didn't say <laughs> it's a, roof. a quality experience. Right. It didn't say this is a high performing school. Nothing. Right. Which relates to my other point here, which there was discussion around pathways. Like this school feeds into this school, mm-hmm. right? And then we heard from BPS, they said, well, a lot of families don't take advantage of those pathways. They may choose different schools. Well, the issue here is like, are we doing anything intentionally to link schools up, right? And say, here's your pathway. Let's work together to create a coherent sort of experience for students all the way through grade 12. My answer to that is no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that, but it is something that definitively school committee members have asked for now for years. They, they've asked for it for years and we haven't provided it. Right. And then Jill, what we also ignored last night was numbers are going down. Our enrollment has is now in the 48,000s range. Right, right. And when we started My Way Cafe, so it was like five years ago, it was 54,000 kids. Yes. I mean, so the school district thousands is of sh- Thousands yeah. of students are being lost. Right. right? Or they're, they're leaving the school system. Yeah. We're not doing a great job of like telling families, don't worry, come to BPS. We'll provide you a coherent experience. In fact, you know, families in BPS, every school, we heard from the GRU school last night saying, you know, they came out to advocate with a lot of family members because they're, they want to make sure they can get a sixth grade. Everybody's uncertain yeah. about what their experience will be year after year. Yeah. That's how families feel in BPS. Families feel in BPS like next year, I may not have a school. 
Yeah. Next year, I don't know where my child will go to school. That kind of uncertainty, we will see a continued plummeting of the BPS population because who would want to be in a school system with such uncertainty? So Jill, it makes me wonder, you know, with the Irving School closing at the end of this school year, and the district has said very clearly that they will make that into a K-6 school, and we know that they'll have a, a larger number of seats at the Irving School for K-6. to mm-hmm. it, it makes you wonder if the smaller schools that are having the modular classrooms in Rosendale, right. um, which we know are temporary for their sixth grades, that if somehow those smaller schools will eventually become part of a larger Irving School in Rosendale. It's just a question makes you wonder. And you know, it, it is in line with what the superintendent is saying, where she's saying, look, we need to have a quality guarantee where every school has a gymnasium, every school has an art room, a music room, a library, and so on. So it does make you you think, is this a larger strategy of the superintendent long-term to have fewer larger schools with more amenities in them? So that's surprising, though, given who is successful in the district, right? It's, it's our smaller schools that are more successful. Well, we had the School on the Move Prize yesterday morning and the Otis School in East Boston won right. it. It's a small... Paula. Beautiful school. Yeah. Uh, the PJK was also a finalist. Mm-hmm. It's a small, beautiful school. Huh. Year after year, um, our small schools flourish. Our larger schools may struggle. So we heard about these changes in Roslindale from multiple parents at the Sumner School as well. They just learned, as I mentioned before, that they just learned this week that their school is the only elementary school in Roslindale that is not getting a sixth grade. Here's what one of the public commenters had to say. So you can imagine how disheartened and disappointed I was to find out that Dr. Facilius and Build BPS have decided not to honor commitments they made to the Sumner community two years ago. Two years ago, the Sumner was instrumental in starting a dialogue among all Rosendale schools about getting sixth grades. At that time, we were wowed by Dr. Casilius's commitment to equity when she told our community that no school would get an individual independent sixth grade without all the others being in lockstep because that was inequitable. Well, I'm saddened to find out in an email that we received just two days ago that the Sumner isn't getting a sixth grade. Not only is the Sumner not getting a sixth grade, we are the only school in the community that is not getting a sixth grade. So many folks who commented last night raised the same issues, that they recall the superintendent coming to Roslindale and promising them that this would not happen. So here's the superintendent's response after listening to all of these comments. And she was also prompted to respond by committee member Tran, who asked the superintendent directly to address their accusations. Uh, Earlier today, I received a letter from a parent stating this fact to me. I've asked my team to go back into the notes to see if I did, in fact, make this promise. It would have been very early in my tenure when I spoke to the Roslindale Sumner community. It would have been at one of my listening sessions that I did when when I worked with the community. And I don't it would be very out of my practice of who I am as a person. And I try to be extremely disciplined in giving my word on something to have been at that early of a meeting in September or October of my new tenure. And to make a promise like that of which I had no background or information. 
Now, if I was pressed on, do you think that's equitable? I could have shared, yes, I think that would be inequitable if you do that. So ultimately, the Sumner issue is just one example of a larger issue at play here. The school system is ignoring the obvious need for a thoughtful, long-term plan for all of its schools. For example, we can't just add sixth grade, especially sixth grade modular classrooms, and also expand early childhood, which we heard nothing about last night, and have libraries, which we just voted on a policy to have every school have a library at the last meeting, unless you have a budget and the buildings to do them. So just to be clear, when you say this, you're basically saying, look, there is no there is no plan that's been articulated for all of the schools across the district. And there's no budget associated with uh, a plan for today or a strategic plan that looks out over, let's say, five years. And so we had a vote on libraries and every school is getting a library. The, the superintendent talks about gymnasiums and gardens and all kinds of things. But it, it is all it all is ad hoc right now because there's nothing definitively that anyone can reference that says, here's what we want the district to look like, and here's what it's going to cost to build it, and here's what it's going to cost to run it. Right? Right. We just no, don't have that. We have, a lot of, we have a lot of words, but no plan. Right. So, you know, Chair Jerry Robinson raised this question towards the end of the meeting, asking the superintendent when we would get to see a comprehensive long-term plan. And here's what the superintendent said in response. She essentially said, I can't propose it and we can't do it because the city won't give me the things that we need to be successful. Here is her response to the chair's question about a comprehensive long-term plan and how we'd get there. There are a few things that we need from City Hall and I'll name three of them. One is a commitment in funding and significant funding. Mm -hmm. A lot. Yeah. Um, because we have a lot of buildings. And, um, you know, I would say probably a billion dollars a year for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Second thing we need is the political will to have these tough conversations and to be able to apply the racial equity planning tool and understand that those who need it the most are going to get it the first. Mm -hmm. And that's not always the voices you hear at school committee. Mm -hmm. The third thing that we're going to need is to be able to have the capacity at City Hall to get these projects through. So then Ross, committee member Lorena LaPera reiterates the consequences of failing to provide a long-term plan. Right now, it feels to me like we're asking our communities to sacrifice our fifth, sixth, and seventh graders in some of our communities for perhaps a long-term gain, um, but the long-term doesn't feel very certain, at least um, from what I'm gathering. So Ross, what's the takeaway here? Well, Jill, we, you know, multiple times last night, we heard from the superintendent and her team saying, you know, we haven't, we don't have a high school plan yet. They don't have a comprehensive high school plan. We have declining enrollment. We heard no discussion last night about school quality. No comprehensive plan for high quality seats in every neighborhood. We are very far from having any certainty for families. And without certainty, we're going to continue to lose families from Boston Public Schools. Yeah, right. Because how do you, you can't bet on something that you know nothing about. The second presentation was an annual update on the strategic plan. So according to Charles Granson, there is much to celebrate. But his summary prompted Chair Robinson to ask this question. 
what went wrong? And tell us about the things that we need to do and the things that we can learn from. Ross, I felt like that was the right question to ask. There are so many underperforming schools in the district. Our MCAS results told a deeply underperforming story. Their response last night, the presentation last night, was mostly a non-data-rich storyline about the things that went well, completely leaving out the size and breadth of issues in the district. And at the end, even reframing that debacle of a lack of adequate learning space for the MK as a success. I found it really confusing, Ross, because we, you can look at data, real data, and the district does not seem to be performing that well. And yet to listen to the presentation last night from the superintendent and Charles Granson, everything's going swimmingly. Right. So what we saw was a, a very, very high level presentation on the strategic plan that was somewhat framed as a celebration for all the successes the school system has had. But a presentation completely lacked data. It, it, a strategic plan should be judged by outcomes. There was no outcome data presented last night as part of the strategic annual update on strategic plan. Yeah. This is the last time this committee meets uh, before a new mayor is elected and before a non-binding vote hmm. on whether the school committee should be elected instead of appointed. And we ended the same way we started. There are no measurable outcomes, a lot of platitudes, and a lot of promises. Right. So that's that's interesting. The mayor we the mayor's vote is next week. Tuesday. The vote for mayor is Tuesday. So this was Mayor Janey's last meeting as mayor. Right. And the non-binding vote on should this committee be elected versus appointed because of the frustration of the community around <laughs> the school committee's performance. Uh, this was the last meeting before that vote on Tuesday. So we'll see what the voters say. So there'll be a non-binding vote. That'll take a little while to play out based on how that vote comes out. And in the meantime, there will be new assignments to school committee and a new mayor who will set a new agenda. Lots going on. Lots going on. Well, that's what happened last night at the Boston Public Schools school committee meeting. Here are some questions that we think are worth asking. First of all, what is the long-term plan for BPS school buildings? What is the quality guarantee on academic performance and when will it be implemented? When will the school system respond to concrete data requests from school committee members? Uh, it's important to note that both Lorena and Rafaela's terms expire after the next meeting following the election of a new mayor. Will they be reappointed to a full term? And what is happening with ESSER funds? Yeah. The application date for the new and largest round of funding has come and gone. We haven't heard about this in a number of weeks. What is BPS doing with the funding? We'd love to hear an update. Russ, there's also plenty of ways to engage, but what's the number one way to engage? Election day is Tuesday, November 2nd. Get out and vote for mayor, city council members, and let your voice be heard in the non-binding referendum on having an elected versus an appointed school committee. There you go. So thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston's students. Have a great day.